Good evening, everyone. How you doing? It's a Sunday night. Welcome to the second Our Sunday Visitor Talks on the Rocks of the Spring Semester at Poise State University. It's good to have you here. My name is Father Nick Blaha, and I'm your host this evening. I'm thrilled to welcome, without further ado, our speaker tonight. I've talked enough about her in her absence, in her presence. I prefer that she do all the talking herself. Uh, Natalie Roberts was brought to our attention by a fellow nursing student who, in the course of a, of a great conversation, said, you know what, I think she's got something to say that, that would really benefit us and, and that I want to hear in, in this format. So um, I'm excited. We've been praying for this, and we had a great chance to meet Natalie at the SLS conference up in Chicago, where she came and hung out with us a little bit. So I'm not going to belabor you with all these details about her background and past, because I'm sure she's going to talk a little bit about that tonight. So please welcome and give your full attention to Natalie Roberts. It's going. Hello. Yeah. Oh, hey. Okay. Hey, guys. <laughs> I'm glad you guys could make it tonight. I know you have nothing better to do, right? <laughs> Studying? No? Um, pardon me. I'm going to use my phone. I, uh, my friends make fun of me because I have, like, the oldest iPhone available. I don't think it's a 4, but maybe the 5. So that was, like, ages ago. Um, but tonight I... I just want to be your friend. I just want to stand up here or sit here with you and just have a casual conversation and talk to you about how I got to where I'm at right now. Um, I am not, I don't think I'm qualified to be up here at all. I'm no funny priest. Um, I'm no motivational speaker. I'm just a simple girl who's trying to live a good life. Um, but... To, to get where I am today, it took a little bit of a journey. Um, so I grew up in Wichita, and I went to a Catholic school my whole life, Catholic grade school, Catholic high school. And um, I have two siblings. They're a lot older than me, like 10 years, 8 years. So Natalie was a little surprised, <laughs> but the best one yet. Um, so I grew up in an awesome home, um, but there was a loving parents, got to mention them, they're great. Um, but there was a lot of hardship in my family. Uh, my siblings are pretty close in age, so two years between them, and a lot of, a lot of hardship going on between them. Uh, they did not get along. They got into a lot of drugs and alcohol in their high school years. And it caused a lot of hardship on my parents. Um, so Natalie's over here kind of neglected. It's my little violin. <laughs> um, she's over here kind of having to fend for herself. Uh, it, was, it was a little rough. I felt lonely, felt neglected. Um, you know, just sad that I've, I'm here by myself, practically an only child, and my parents are distracted trying to keep their marriage together, trying to keep their kids out of jail, which they, they didn't prevent that. My brother got a DUI when he um, was 
21, I think, actually, right after 21. Um, but backstory, so they're in, in high school, fighting all the time, anger problems, drinking, drugs, and I was pissed. I was so annoyed that I was forgotten. So when I got to high school, I started drinking. Disregard this. <laughs> Out of control drinking. Oh my gosh. Like blacked out, drunk. Cops came to the parties a couple times. Called my sister. Hey, could you come pick me up? Don't tell mom and dad. <laughs> no, but seriously, don't tell mom and dad. <laughs> uh, so my sister came and got me twice from parties. And um, I just wasn't happy. I was hanging out with all these people that thought they were cool shit. I thought I was cool shit. I still am, but don't worry. <laughs> uh, so I was, I was just over all the, the drunken days of being superficial and lonely, but that's what I thought I knew. You know, you're, you're suffering. Every, every family has their issues, I mean. I, I now know that. At the time, I thought we were the only ones. So I felt secluded, so I, that's why I turned to that. Um, but I got sick of it. So when it came time my senior year, luckily I had gone on a couple mission trips and was kind of introduced to the faith um, through those mission trips. We went to church every Sunday, minus a couple, if we were out of town or... They didn't feel like it. Um, but I was the one that heard about the mission trips and wanted to go. So I was introduced to the faith, and I, I was like, whoa, this is it. This is the stuff. So I was like, I, I cannot stay with these same people when I go to college. It is not kosher. So I started looking around to colleges, and there's one in Wichita, Newman, if any of you guys have heard of Newman University. So we had a Catholic college there. We had... I was looking at Rockhurst, Kansas City, another Catholic college. Um, I, and then I looked at Benedictine because my high school teachers went to Benedictine. And they had something that I wanted. So I went to Benedictine, loved it. And I decided this was my opportunity to change who I was and be who I wanted to be. So... Uh, that was really hard, leaving my family. I am definitely the glue, still am the glue to my family. And I felt like it was my duty to stay there and mend this relationship that was dwindling. But I knew that I needed to go. I knew that I needed to leave in order for them to find forgiveness and healing themselves without me in the picture. So... I went to college, and that was awesome. That was the best decision I've ever made. <laughs> um, so I went to college, and I was so homesick. Holy cow, guys, so homesick. I wanted to just continue the partying because I thought that's all I knew. That's all I understood was, hey, let's go make friends at 1 in the morning with people that don't know how to carry a conversation outside of alcohol. Um, but it was someone I went to high school with, actually. 
that I met, actually no, scratch that. I had known her all through grade school, all through high school, excuse me, all through high school, and I was actually kind of scared of her because I thought, she thought I was a huge bitch, essentially, because I was part of the cool people and partying. So I thought she didn't like me because of that. Um, but it was her love and her, the grace that she received from the Lord that asked me to join in saying the consecration. Have you guys heard of that? So the consecration, um, I believe, was written by St. Louis de Montfort. Um, which is awesome saint. Very intense, by the way. Um, he wrote these prayers, essentially, to give yourself completely to the Lord through Mary. Mary was the ultimate handmaid, ultimate person who, who gave her whole self to Christ. And so she wants us, she wants us to come and, and let her... Help us to Christ. So this consecration is, I mean, honestly, you could probably explain this better than I could. You want to get it? Okay. Well, I had a couple of heads shake no, so I, I didn't, I thought I might touch on it. So <laughs> I said this consecration thing. I had no idea what this was. I'm saying these prayers. I'm like, this is hard. And then you had to start saying the rosary with it. I didn't even know how to say the rosary. That's pretty sad, going to Catholic school. <laughs> Don't tell my teachers. Oh, gosh. Um, but that was ultimately, besides going to college and getting out, that was ultimately the turning point in my life, was that consecration. I knew there was something. I was different. There was something different about me and my soul that I could never change. Kind of like you talked tonight about joining the church and how you better be ready to commit to this for the rest of your life. And that is the same, the same concept. I am forever consecrated to, to follow Jesus and to bring people with me. And that's, I mean, that's essentially why I'm here. I want to bring all of you guys with me. Let's go. Bring your drinks. <laughs> um, so the consecration was awesome. So from there, then on out, I was hooked. I was in it. I, uh, the next summer, I taught Totus Tuus for Salina Diocese. I know some of you are from uh, Western Kansas, Salina. Uh, so I was out there teaching Totus Tuus, and that was awesome. I learned a lot about the sacraments through there. Um, what else? Then I decided that I wanted to go to nursing school which I know we have a lot of nursing students here. And that was a great decision. Uh, I knew my love language is acts of service, trying to, to fix people and trying to serve people. I mean, that's what I did with my family all growing up. I knew that that's where my heart was. So I was like, hey, nursing's, nursing's a good profession. So in college, I got a internship at a pregnancy crisis center in Wichita. And it was freaking awesome. Talk about humbling. These women coming in, thinking about having an abortion, and I'm over, I'm over here trying to convince them not to. I, I don't know how I got in that situation, but I was there. They, 
I still looked, look up to those women because they were so broken and I thought I was over here having a little pity party, like my family sucks and my life is horrible. But no, they, their life was literally awful. Um, so I learned a lot that summer, giving pregnancy tests, counseling these women on, you should move out of your home and, and you should not condone this, this violence that you're experiencing from your, your partner. Um, that, that's not normal. Um, you, you should think about getting a job. You should think about providing, a, you know, live, making a livelihood out of a profession um, instead of just kind of floating around. You know, giving life lessons to these women. I learned so much through that internship. So that's where I learned that I wanted to do maternal child nursing. So I did pregnancy tests. Oh, that's weird. I did pregnancy tests. And then now I work on the tail end of it of helping deliver children into this world, which is freaking crazy, by the way, you guys. Children, wow. A lot of work getting those things out of there, but <laughs> literally. Um, yeah, I, I just love mothers and I love children, and it's so beautiful to see this life and the opportunities that we have with it, and I knew that that's, that's where I was supposed to go, was maternal child nursing. So I'm going to go back to my notes because I feel like I'm getting off topic. Okay, so at this internship, I was able to also help with sonograms. And these sonograms were only offered to women that were thinking about having an abortion. They were limited, so we couldn't diagnose any um, health issues. But they were really crucial. We had a Knights of Columbus um, council donate this like $150,000 um, sonogram machine. Like, that's more than my life. Um, so, this machine was donated because they wanted these women to see how precious and real this life was. Um, so, we were able to do that for them. And I had this mom in there who sh she came in for a pregnancy test and she was an exotic dancer. And she ended up getting pregnant, and she did not want that child. I mean, I don't, I don't blame her. It's a very hard job. And that's all she knew. So she came in to confirm that she was pregnant. So we said, we'll give you a sonogram. You know, just, just wait a couple weeks. We'll give you a sonogram, and you can, you can see you know, how far along you are. Um, so we brought her in for the sonogram, and I'm with a physician's assistant, and this physician's assistant, this PA, was awesome, so amazing. She, she brings her in and talks to her a little bit about, okay, where do you work? And you know, what's your living situation? Um, do, you, do you feel safe in where you're, where you're at right now? Come to find out that this, this gal is a lesbian who's pregnant. And the reason why she wanted an abortion was because her partner was pissed that she got pregnant from that. And I'm like, wow, this is a lot to take in at an internship. <laughs> Seriously, though, that was a lot. So um, 
I'm, just, I'm sitting there listening, and this PA looked at her, and she said, she just looked at her in the eyes and said, that's, that's not a part of God's plan. This lifestyle that you're living is not in line with what God had in store for you. And this, this woman started to become so defensive. She's like, what are you talking about? Why, why, are, you, why are you saying that about me? You, you just hate all lesbians and gays and all these things. And she goes, no, it's not that I hate you. It's that I love you. And, and if you, you told me that you believe in God, and, and I want you to get to heaven. But in order for you to get to heaven, you have to know the truth. And that was the moment that I realized it was possible to be a, a healthcare professional who practiced her faith. In that moment, she showed so much love to that, that gal that no one else has. And love of, sometimes love hurts. You know, the truth of that her lifestyle wasn't in line with the church didn't mean that she was bad. It meant that she just needed even more love. She needed somebody to tell her that, and nobody had before. I mean, she had a ton of other stuff going on. But ultimately, that's what this PA thought was necessary at the time. So at first, this girl was very defensive, very very pissed off. And when she told her, no, it's because I love you and I want you to come to heaven with me, she just started crying. Nobody had ever said that to her. Nobody had ever expressed the love that this PA had. Um, so like I said, that was the moment that I knew that it was possible. And to this day, I, I don't think she knows that that story comes to my mind on a regular basis. But it has. Um, so with that story, I graduated from Benedictine College. I got a raven back there. Elliot, thank you. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> we'll do the fight song later. Yeah, just you, me and you. Um, so I went to Benedictine and finished nursing, and I got a job at Kansas City. So I work at KU Med on, technically I work on uh, Mother Baby. He put labor and delivery. They're kind of one and the same, a little different, just depends on the hospital, but I just want to make him look bad. So he got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> He's not even paying attention. Um, <laughs> he doesn't know. <laughs> um, so I moved to Kansas City, and I lived with some of my best friends from BC, and they are nurses as well. Let me tell you guys... That was a rough transition. Going from college to adult life, that was rough. Uh, luckily, I, so I moved to Kansas City. It wasn't too far from college, and I lived with those girls who helped me stay true to myself during that first year. And I learned a lot about paying bills and paying insurance, or getting insurance and paying insurance and learning how to change my tire when it was flat, changing my oil, you know, adulting stuff they don't teach you in college. Um, so that was a little 
little rough. I think I had a flat tire, a broken window. Um, I had like bugs in my bed because there was like a gap in the window because my landlord broke it. And I'm like, I need to leave Kansas City. This is not for me anymore. <laughs> I, need to, I need to go. Um, so just coming to the reality of, okay, I'm on my own. I'm starting this job that I barely know anything about. And I'm trying to keep this house, or this, excuse me, apartment, keeping this apartment up to date, making sure my car is taken care of, making sure I have insurance in case something happens. They tell you you got to have insurance, so I got it. I haven't used it yet, but maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> Probably is. Um, but nobody really prepared me for that reality of the, that stuff, but also the things I would face at my job. Uh, I learned that my workplace is in, um, very secular, very secular. A lot of moral issues go on there that I hadn't, didn't even think was a thing. Um, and I'll, I'll mention some of those in a little bit. Um, but also just like the culture and the people that I encountered, I was so caught off guard, so caught off guard. And I don't know if that was my own little bubble that I put myself in, but it was a huge culture shock starting this, this job. And, and this isn't just for nursing. I'm sure this is for engineers, teachers, um, accountants. You know, getting out there to where you're on that, the daily grind, some people say, the daily grind, it's hard work. Um, but I had consolation when I would come back and I would have friends that I could confide in and talk about, okay, how, how can I be a better person through these difficult situations? How can I be a better example to these people that are living a really shitty life? How, how can I be a better coworker, sister, friend, um, daughter? And it was because I had that good community of friends. And I know it's not possible for everyone to have that. And it's, sometimes it is hard to find you know, good friends to keep you accountable. But these people right here, hold on to them tight. They're, they're your crew. Okay. Um, so luckily I had found that. And I think that's what helps pull me through on top of the consecration. Don't forget that one. Um, so... After being at KU for a year, a lot of issues at work that were really bothering me, and I've told Father this, but we had in vitro fertilization. We have same-sex same couples having babies. We have, um, I mean, we have parents who have babies out of wedlock, which that's like, that's the norm now. It's more of like same-sex couples are becoming more of like the thing to be. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, let's see, we have this procedure called a uh, twin reduction. So they cut off blood supply to one of the twins in order to give survival to the other one. Um, 
to give that baby better odds of surviving. And I was freaking pissed. When I found out that we were doing crap like this, I was really mad. Um, I would come home crying, thinking, how, how can I work in a place that does such horrible things? And, and, and always pressuring birth control. It's like they give it out like candy, literally. They have a little chart, a little piece of paper, and they're like, okay, which one do you want today? Okay, I'll, you'll take that one. Perfect. We'll bring it. You can have a couple if you want. You, you want a couple? I mean, it's not a big deal. It'll just mess with your hormones, and you know, they can be uh, abortifacients, so they can cause abortions later on when you get pregnant again. So it's fine. But which one do you want? Perfect. So they would offer those to all the patients, and that's when I thought, okay, I think it's time for me to leave this place. And I talked to a priest in Kansas City. I said, Father, I'm so fed up with this stuff. These women don't even know that this stuff isn't right. They, they don't know any better. That's, they, they have all these physicians tell them this is what's good for them, and they're like, okay, I'll take it. And it just doesn't sit well with me. So I told this father... I said, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to be in a place like this. And he said, not everyone is called to be, we're, we're not called to be comfortable. We are to be a light in the darkness. Um, for a long time, I considered being a focus missionary. And... I felt I didn't feel called, or I, I thought about interviewing, and I was like, I don't think that's going to be for me. I have this nursing degree. I should utilize it. So I, I was telling this priest that, and he goes, not everybody can live that lifestyle of being a missionary. You're a missionary in your workplace. That's when I was like, holy, okay, <laughs> holy crap. <laughs> that was a big realization. Uh, so I decided to stay. And I've been there not, I mean, not that long, uh, almost two years. And it was through that conversation that I, I've had a lot of peace. Even though I don't agree with a lot of those things going on, I have a lot of peace that I know I'm in the right spot right now. And I have a couple stories that will solidify that. Um, I had... A patient come in, or our boss came over to our, our desk where we're charting. She said, okay, tomorrow we're going to be getting a, um, a transgender female going to a male and her spouse, um, and she's going to be delivering a baby. And I was like, okay, how's that possible? Um, but I, obviously that's a little harsh. But I was thinking, okay, uh, why, why are you telling us this? And she said, because we need to put him in a room that's not too close to the nurse's station. We need to make sure that each nurse that has them isn't going to be too judgmental of them. And we need to make sure that you don't look at them funny. And I was thinking to myself, why, why are you trying to jump through all these hoops to accommodate them? And that's just like my first instinct. 
And she said, so so make sure that, you know, tomorrow when they come in that you, you give them someone who, who isn't going to be, you know, too, too much for them. So I get there the next day, and my, my charge nurse assigns me that patient. And my heart just kind of dropped. And I was legitimately scared because it wasn't that I... I didn't know how to talk to people. I didn't know how to love people. It was more I was scared of the fact of being truthful in what I believed in, that I don't believe that is correct. But she gave me, and she told me this, I gave you, those I gave you that patient because I knew that you wouldn't judge them and you would still treat them with dignity. And I was, I was kind of floored that she even told me that. Um, but what does, that, what does that say about me and how I've been living my life at my career in, my, in how I carry myself and how I treat others? What does that say? Over here, inside, I'm feeling scared as hell. But on the outside and how I treated people and how I showed them love, she noticed that and she knew that I could do it. She believed in me when I didn't know I could do it. So I took care of that patient and it was the best thing that I've done so far because I was able to show them love just like I had learned from the physician's assistant even though I didn't agree with their lifestyle. Um, and that was awesome. And it was cool because, this is a little like plug, but I got report from another Benedictine nurse and that was awesome because what does that show about how, like, the formation we had and, like, our personalities and how the, the impact that we have on our coworkers. They gave the night nurse, the person, the night nurse was someone who would do that same, not be judgmental, show them love, show them dignity. So that was one of my first, ex or uh, my first experiences after deciding to stay, and I was like, okay, here again, I'm in the right place. <laughs> After um, just that weird situation, I was completely proven wrong, and I'm really happy about it uh, because I think we all need to be humbled a little bit. So with that, um, I learned that I had more of an impact on my coworkers than my patients. And that was something we had never discussed in nursing school at all. These, these people that I was with every single day, because our patients are in and out. Their, their stay is two to three days. I mean, other, other units are a little, they stay there a little bit longer, but our patients are usually in and out, so two to three days. But these people that I work with week after week, are the people that I was impacting the most on how I asked about their families, asked about their health issues, um, offered to help them, um, you name it. I had a, um, an encounter with my, my coworkers. It was Thanksgiving, and I don't know why they asked me this, but I guess they did. 
they said, um, hey, Natalie, since it's Thanksgiving meal, could you go ahead and say the prayer? And I was like, wait, what? You guys want to pray with me? Okay, let's do it. So I just said the prayer that I knew. And, and that just that solidifies the fact that I had more of an impact on them than my patients. Not one of my patients has asked me to pray with them. Just a simple little, hey, bless this food. This is great. I'm grateful for this, this meal and these people. And they knew that, I don't know how, but my personality, my demeanor, my weird mannerisms, they knew that I was the person to ask and I would step up to the plate and lead them in prayer. So I did that. So with that said, I have six things. Don't worry, they're kind of quick, hopefully. Six things that I want to suggest to you guys as you graduate and go off. I know some of you are seniors, so you're finishing up your last couple months. But as you go off into the real world and start adulting, I want you to take away at least one of these. Um, you're not, you're not going to be perfect, but I surveyed a lot of my friends, legitimately. I asked many of my friends what they wanted me to include in this talk, and these were all kind of a summary of what they wanted me to tell you guys. So here we go. The first one, don't be overbearing. Uh, I... A good story about that is when I first started, it was during the presidential elections, and people are not afraid to verbalize their opinions, let me tell you. But I sat there quietly. I didn't, I didn't say anything. And I'm not saying either one of the presidential candidates are perfect at all. But what you say about me says more about you than me. What you say about me says more about you than it says about me. So if somebody's over there talking talking mad-ish about somebody saying, oh, they're rude, they're incompetent, they're, um, they're sexist, or you know, they did all these things, and you're thinking, what's going to prevent you from saying that kind of stuff about me? Like as a person, if you're willing to talk, talk behind someone's back like that, if you're willing to, it says that maybe you're impatient, uh, says that you're unkind, you don't have an, a nice thing to say about anyone. So the fact that you're talking badly about that person says more about that, this person over here, than it does about them. So one of my coworkers came up to me and she said, I can tell you're a conservative. And I go, do I have that written on my forehead? I, I, I don't know, understand this. She goes, no, I can tell you're a conservative because you don't say anything bad about anyone, any of those candidates. And I go, that's kind of random. I mean, I could, I could be whatever political party, it doesn't matter. And she goes, no, because you don't have one mean thing to say about either one of them, even if you disagree. You, the way you carry yourself and talk about other people is very respectful. And that's usually someone who's conservative, for the most part, my experience. Um, and I was, I was floored by that. I didn't, I didn't think I was giving off that vibe. So give yourself credibility, but don't be overbearing. OK? 
Okay, so that's, that's just number one, sorry. <laughs> number two, be honest. It is very easy to lie about things. I had a patient who, I had an insulin error. We have a lot of pregnant diabetics and I had an insulin error. I actually failed to give her insulin. I was a newbie nurse and I failed to give her insulin. And that was why she was hospitalized, was because she was trying to um, figure out her insulin regimen. So of course, naturally, I'm, I miss a dose. And I could have just brushed over it. I could have said, oh, that's weird. I don't, I don't know why she didn't, her sugar's still skyrocketing. It beats me, I don't know what's going on. And at that moment, I thought to myself, this is a very humbling experience to admit that I did something wrong for the first time in my nursing career. So I told my charge nurse, I told my manager, I had to call the doctor and tell them, had to call the pharmacist and tell them, and I had to submit a safety report. That's five humbling experiences in one. <laughs> but it was awesome because I know that I will never make that mistake again, for one. And people saw I was being true to myself and true to my patient. It was, it was necessary for her health and her stay in the hospital for me to be truthful in, in the care that she was receiving. Oh, actually, there's a sixth one. I had to tell the patient, minor detail. I had to tell her <laughs> that I missed her insulin. <laughs> um, so that was six, not five. Okay, so we have don't be overbearing, honesty, and then the third one is prayerful. I, every morning before I go into work, I pray in Angelus, and I pray to the Holy Spirit. I pray the Angelus because I really love Mary, going along with my consecration. Um, my, my favorite phrase is, behold, the hand, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. To be a handmaid is to be a servant. Every single day we are called to be a servant of the Lord in whatever walk of life that we're, where we're at. We are called to be a handmaid. So I pray the Angelus, asking to give me strength to be the handmaid. And I pray for the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom, patience, kindness, <laughs> um, knowledge, about whatever I'm supposed to be doing that day, and I ask for their help. But what really, something really impactful about prayer um, so far in my career was when I had to take pictures of a 22-week-old a miscarriage. Um, so we have a lot of happy, a lot of happy babies, happy mothers, but we also get a lot of sad, which people don't realize. Um, we like to take pictures of the miscarried babies to help the parents remember their lost child. Um, but uh, they, they are a little emotionally unstable enough to take the pictures themselves, so we do it for them. Sorry. So I was helping a labor nurse, another labor nurse, um, position the baby and make, make the baby look essentially alive. And this whole time, like my, I wanted to throw up, to be honest. I don't know how I got in that situation, but it was so, 
so amazing. It just, it just proves, proves the beauty in this life. And I was so honored to help take pictures. These are, these are, these are pictures that these parents are going to cherish forever. And that whole time, I was able to pray for this baby, pray for this, the soul, pray for the parents in their healing, pray for their loved ones that are going to be comforting them in this hard time, pray for all the, 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 the healthcare professionals that are going to have to be there for them when maybe they have another one, maybe they have another miscarriage, or maybe, who knows? But I was able to remain prayerful and asking the Holy Spirit to be with me in that hard time because heaven's, heaven's no, heaven knows that I wanted to just sit there and cry too because that's, that's not normal. That, that's, that's hard, hard stuff. So prayerful. Um, the fourth thing is positivity. Sacrificing your own emotions or negativity um, Sacrificing your own emotions or negativity. I have a coworker who drives me bonkers. Holy cow. She drives everyone bonkers. But, Lord, I ask for help to have patience with her because heavens, heavens knows, I just said that, but she needs patience and I need patience with her. But that's what helps us stand out as Christians, is how are we treating them differently? People complain about her all the time, all the time, even to her face sometimes. But that's, that's not how we as Christians are called to live. Um, so sacrificing my own emotions, my own negativity, to be respectful to her, showing her dignity just like anyone else, um, and making everyone feel like a million bucks. We have housekeepers on our floor who literally clean up puke and pee and all everything that's gross and gets on the floor, and they clean that stuff up. They do more work than I probably do, and I'm very grateful to them. That's why it's important to get to know them um, and making them feel like a million bucks. So that goes for anyone, someone who annoys you, someone who your best friend Make them feel like a million bucks. Um, so number five, five, is your community. I kind of touched on it here, but who are you hanging out with? These people hold you accountable, challenge you to be better. Um, you, you're learning from them. Who are you hanging out with? A liar, a bad example, um, Someone who can't keep a job, who cheats on their friend, or cheats on their girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. But who are you surrounding yourself with? Someone who goes to church, someone who, who reads a lot. This community that you form is such a, plays such a vital role in your life. So make sure you're choosing someone who will help you be better. I think that's what got me through this year of, of a really hard experience adulting. And um, that's why I cannot stress to you enough, when you graduate, find that community, whether it's um, a young adult group, whether it's um, in Kansas City, they have 
Catholic challenge sports. If you're someone who wants to go and play dodgeball or kickball and meet other Catholic people, go do that. Or just make friends that aren't Catholic. That's fine, too. Um, but getting involved, finding a community, going to... There's different events, a Catholic beer club. I don't know if they have that in Poria, but this, this is it. This is the one. But finding, finding activities that, that aren't at work. You need to get outside of yourself and find that community. Okay? Um, and finally, number six, patience. Patience with others, but ultimately patience with yourselves. As you get out there and start your jobs, maybe you already started your jobs. You're a missionary. You're in your, you're in your vocation job right now. Um, but when you get out there, you're not going to be perfect. I'm, I'm not perfect at all. Um, that first year was my hangover from college. Um, that first year, I learned so much stuff about classes, nursing, about ethics, about faith, friendships, how to pay bills, but I hadn't applied them yet. So that first year, I was in a funk, and I was really frustrated with myself that I didn't have this stuff down. So that's when I, when I stress that you need to be patient with yourselves because it's, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while for you guys to know um, how to be a better friend, how to be a better coworker, how to be a better student, how to be a better faithful Christian Catholic. Um, in 60 years, you're going to look back and think, that was my worst. Today is my best. And you got to work right now towards your best, but have patience with yourself. Okay? Um, I, so I'm just going to touch over those. So don't be overbearing, honesty, prayerful, positivity, community, and patience. I think if you can work on one of those, I think you'll be able to survive graduation, career, all of life, adulting, all of them, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> but I also want to open up the floor for questions. I touched on a lot. What about a round? Oh, gosh. Any questions? Oh, you have to make them get up. Yeah. You don't carry the mic around. No. Oh. So uh, yes. What's your name? My name is Boot, and uh, I hey, feel Boo. like I'm in the hangover right now. Okay. Because I just left college in October. Okay. And uh, I was gonna ask, like, does it ever end? Probably not. Probably to be honest. <laughs> Like, when did you feel like a significant change out of the hangover, I suppose? I think that first year, was I didn't realize I was in the hangover. I think just talking to my friends and realizing that they were all kind of experiencing that, oh, work's hard, like, you go to work, it's kind of draining, then you have to come home and figure out, okay, I got I to go back. I, uh, um, I think maybe just, like, finding that routine finding your little vocation right now. 
you know, you, you have your little V and your big V vocation. Um, what's your vocation right now? It's to start your job, um, to find a good community, maybe that's part of it. And I think there's, some people always think um, that they need to be doing something differently, but I think sometimes it's okay to live a, what's the word I'm looking for? Not monotonous, but somewhat faithful routine life of having prayer, having, having um, your job, having time for friends, having time for your family, um, having time to work out. I think it's so important to balance. balance. Thank you. Yes. So I, but think just that first year, you're finding that routine. You're finding, okay, how do I apply all these things? And I think the long story short of it is you're going to be experiencing the hangover maybe a, a little bit throughout your life as you change. Awesome. So, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I love being hungover. <laughs> Hey, I want everybody to, to feel free, use the restroom, grab another drink. You need another drink for the, for the end, right? You remember the end? Oh, no. Yeah, you need, you need to be ready for the end. Okay. I have a question. So. Real quick, but can, can you just describe a little bit about what happens at that point where you, you are at the breaking point? So you come home, you're crying, I'm, I'm done. You know, you, you go to bed just feeling awful. Mm -hmm. And then you wake up the next morning and you go back and do it again. Yeah. What, what gives you the capacity to do that? That doesn't make you feel like you're being dishonest or, or inauthentic. Mm -hmm. that, that allows you to say, this Good is ugly, you. this is messy, but yeah. I'm going to keep doing it. What, mm -hmm. what was that for you? And then please feel free to bring other questions up. <laughs> That's a tough question. I think what helps me continue is having, having those awe moments of, I had the patient who was a transgender and I was really scared. I worked it up in my head. But afterwards, when, the, when my charge nurse told me, no, it's because I, I knew that you would be awesome for that patient. You, you would give exactly what that patient needed. I'm like, oh. Okay, so I'm 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 doing something right. When every other day I'm I'm feeling like a failure, or I'm I'm doing things incorrectly, it was it was that one little moment that gives me hope that I'm doing the right thing. We're not always going to get praise for what we're doing, um, but I knew that I was living in a way that was different, and I needed to continue that. So knowing that there's that little glimpse of hope. Of, of giving that patient um, dignity by, by praying and you need your sleep, <laughs> you need prayer, you need, you need to work out and get endorphins going. Um, yeah, just, I think, I think the thing that kept me going was just like that one moment of, okay, I, I did w at least one thing right. If everything else is wrong, I got that one thing right and that kept me going to go back to work. Does that answer your question? Kind of, not really. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh gosh. You want to answer that question? What keeps you going, Father? <laughs>
gloves. I think you should pass that mic around. <laughs> okay, so um, hypothetically, yes. if you were a senior year nursing student who's about to start capstone, okay. uh, what do you think is the most important thing, like looking back, that was essential to, to keep an eye out for or to be receptive mm -hmm. um, towards during that capstone experience? Um, don't feel like you have to have everything figured out right now. I think people, like right in this time of the year, people are getting jobs and they're about to graduate and they're trying to find a place to live. They're like, yes, I found it. Found the one. Let's go for it. I know a ton of people that are now going back to school because they didn't like their degree or they changed units because they thought they wanted ICU and it wasn't for them, so now they're oncology. Um, don't feel like you need to have everything figured out right now. I think life's going to throw you challenges, and this is just this is just a start of things. So what are you called to right now? As you're starting your capstone, just take things in. You know, learn, learn from, ask that same question to the other nurses that you encounter on your floor. Ask them, what do you wish you would have known as you were going out into the real world. Ask them their, just kind of like what I'm talking about, ask them how, how they perceive their experience at the first year of nursing. Um, but yeah, just kind of taking it all in and being patient with yourself, I think is very key to starting out anything. Take it in, anyhow. Hello there, welcome to the front. Um, so, since graduating from college and moving to the city, mm -hmm. uh, how have your friendships changed? How have you continued to, uh, I guess, grow in intimacy with people in a way mm -hmm. that calls you forward and, and brings you life? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's really important to make, you get caught up in the busyness, it's really important to invest in those friendships, um, but also being open to new ones. Life brings change, and sometimes friendships kind of change, whether you know somebody moves or they get married and you, maybe you just don't click anymore. I think, make, but making time for those people that you really care about is really vital um, for your sanity, to be honest, sanity. Um, you need those people around you um, to lift you up, hold you accountable. And I've, yeah, some of my friendships are different from college. I don't talk to a lot of them. Because, I mean, a lot of them move away and you're not in the same spot. But that doesn't mean there's not other community out there for you to find. I think you really have to be vulnerable with meeting new people at different events, like I kind of suggested, um, sporting, and, sporting events or Catholic Beer Club, Theology on Tap, um, I know there's like retreats you can go on to meet people, um, but so being vulnerable and also setting aside time to invest in those people that you, you need, you need to keep you sane. Does that answer your question? These questions are hard. <laughs> kind of? It, it does. It does. I mean, I guess kind of to follow up with that, like, Something I noticed in young adult communities, mm -hmm. I, I'm from Virginia, mm -hmm. originally Northern Virginia, and like, you know, a small, medium-sized town, there's not a lot of young Catholics like my age, mm -hmm. and I kind of dabbled in some of these groups, it, but like, 
there almost seemed like there was a neediness, you know, like among people who are a few years out of college mm-hmm. and like not married, not like set in their, their communities or whatever. And like, you know, they knew that they needed something, but you, it, it was just hard. Mm-hmm. Clearly hard, and like I think Kansas City is a great place because there. Are I think so it's rare. Well, Kansas City is rare. rare. It yeah. is rare, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, and you're saying like invest time. Yeah. Um, be vulnerable with people you meet. Like, it's it's hard to meet new people, yeah. and to open yourself up to that. Um, I think another suggestion is to be invitational. Um, maybe somebody else is afraid to invite you over. Um, so why don't why don't you just say grab a couple random people like hey let's let's go grab a beer after this game or what wherever you're at, I think sometimes we fail to, to provide that opportunity for others. We think oh somebody else will take care of it. Oh it's not I'm not I don't need to be in charge of that. But I think maybe that provides like an opportunity for you to say hey you want to go do this sometime, and it could be with a coworker. It could be with someone you. Met the store. I don't, you know. Do you, do you have any like success stories of like you doing that for a random person that you never would have expected? Yeah, I will actually like a couple of my coworkers. They, um, I never expected to like hang out with them or be friends with them, but I invited them to. I think maybe it was like I went to a bar with a couple friends for my birthday, and I was like, "Hey, like you're welcome to come stop by. Like you don't have to stay the whole time if you don't want to, but." We're just going to have, like, a couple drinks, and, um, I mean, you can bring someone, too. And ever since then, like, we we hit it off. And she, it's kind of cool because she'll ask about my friends that she met. And obviously I see her at work, so I'm able to keep up with her. But she'll check on, she'll check on those friends that she met at, that, at the, the bar. So, yeah, I guess I do have kind of a success story from that. Um, but yeah, being invitational. I, I, I understand Kansas City is like a very strange and obscure place. It's very booming with like young adult activities. Um, but maybe you guys are called, if you're not, if you don't go to Kansas City, maybe you're called to be that person in wherever city you end up. It's really important for you to be that light and that opportunity to others. Um, yeah, because you guys, it looks like you guys are great leaders and involved and I think that's what some people need. They don't have stuff like this. So you have that training, that foundation to go and do it. Start it there. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. One more round for Natalie. So, yeah, that we've had a good run of speakers at Talks of the Rocks. That surpassed my... My wildest expectations. Thank you, Natalie. Um, I I think to a painful Thursday morning, a group of guys living in a house that I used to live in, now called the Neary House, woke up at, I believe, 7 a.m. to meet together and pray. We prayed morning prayer. And then that wasn't enough. Just getting up that early and praying wasn't enough. I made them then listen to me read to them from the life of St. Philip Neri. And it wasn't a very entertaining life. Well, it's funny you say that, Elliot, because I remember one day where there's a point where St. Philip is described as having a great 
a great desire to care for the, for the sick. Right? So, so you and I are used to this idea of having hospitals. That's a very new thing. Hospitals are, are a very recent invention in the history of, of the human race. Before there were hospitals, so in St. Philip Neri's time, so we're talking the 1500s, uh, sick people just were sick until they weren't sick anymore. Or you died. That was the, those, were the, those were the two options. <laughs> just get better or I'd die. And there were these people who would go and care for the sick. And, and they would do it as a work of mercy. They would go and just, okay, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, 3 o'clock. Oh, I'm supposed to go check on some sick people now. So they would go out and they would give them a, okay, what do, you, what do nurses do? You give, you give some sponge baths. You do that. That's gross. <laughs> like a two-week accumulated night soil, just fetid body stuff that you're just going to wipe down. Okay, I'm going to go do that for someone. Out of the kindness of my heart. Actually, no, not out of the kindness of my heart. Because Jesus asked me to. And St. Philip would send his little crew. He'd be, you know, it's Tuesday afternoon, it's 3 o'clock. So <clears throat> go to 501, some Italian street. Go over there and go take care of this guy because I know he's sick. Right? Who are the people doing that now? Nurses. Nobody goes to someone's house and just takes care of them. It's a job. But what I love about this, this idea and the way you're speaking about this and, and really the whole series of these, of these talks is that we're following the footsteps of the saints. Before it was St. Philip Neri, it was Phil. Phil just said, go. Go, go do this. You're a well-educated, very wealthy, influential person. And I don't care. Go take care of this dirty, helpless person on Fifth Street. Go do that. We'll see you in three hours. Right? This is a calling. We're following the footsteps of the saints. And if we don't have that, if we don't have that sensibility, what are we doing? Are we collecting a paycheck? Who wants to do that? Who wants to collect a paycheck doing all that, that brutal work? No, this is, a voc this is a calling. This is a vocation. So... You know, I remember, Elliot, you were, you were moved by that. I remember that, that, that morning, just going, whoa, that's intense. It is, but that's what we're called to. That's still happening. It's still happening in the hospitals of, of our country because guess what? That's a thankless job, and no one is going to say, hey, great job. Way, way to go above and beyond. Way to, way to reverence the dignity of the human person in that and that person, that cancer patient, or that transgendered mother, or that person with diabetes and fibromyalgia and everything else, and they don't know how to live, and they can't take care of themselves. So, yeah, thanks a lot for that. No, we, we need people. If you remember, if you were here for the talk that Grace gave a few, a few months, well, that's what it was about back in January. Hey, thanks be to God, February's over, huh? Yeah! How about that? Woo! What a horrible month. That's a terrible month. So much bad news in February. It's March. But remember Grace, right? Nobody's thanking me for doing this work. Nobody, she, she's, she was a social worker. I'm not here to, 
to, to be thanked. I'm here because I believe I have a contribution to make, right? That's our, that's our call. That's what um, you bore witness to in a beautiful way. So thank you for that, Natalie. So I don't have any bad news to share today. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm really conscious of the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of people out there are saying bad times, troublesome times, you know, just calling down all this, all this, all this bad news, right? But, but that's not the way it is. That's not the truth of the matter, is it? We are the times. Let us live good lives, and the times will be good. Such as we are, such are the times. Amen.